I want you to open your Bible with me to Luke 19. Luke chapter 19. What we're going to read in these verses is the familiar encounter of Jesus and Zacchaeus. So let me say this at the beginning. There are few other places in the scripture where the grace of God is on greater display than his actions here with Zacchaeus. We might turn to Acts chapter 9 and see there Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus and see the grace of God overtake him, intervene in his life, and forever change him. We might go to the riverside and see there Lydia's heart opened. But I want you to see Jesus' interaction and dealing with Zacchaeus here as a parallel encounter with those great events. In 21 years of preaching, I don't recall ever preaching a sermon to my own shame concerning Zacchaeus. I've sang the song that you have sang. It might even be now playing through your mind about the wee little man But this wee little man proves in the end to be a giant in the faith. Jesus intentionally seeks him out. My prayer as we study these first 10 verses this morning is that we will be completely humbled by the activity of the grace of God that we see on display here. We see Jesus, sovereign as he is, keeping what appears to be an appointed meeting with Zacchaeus. And then we also see what we could call the effectual nature of saving grace. And J.C. Ryle sums up these ten verses just by saying, what we see here describe the conversion of a soul. Zacchaeus is never the same after he encounters Jesus. Let me say that the other way. Zacchaeus is never the same after Jesus encounters him. The same is true of you. The same is true of me. When we come in contact with the great shepherd of the sheep, then we are forever changed. Before we look at the first ten verses, I want to set the context in Luke's gospel. Because it's important to see where Luke includes this encounter of Jesus and Zacchaeus and see the chronology of it. And I'm looking particularly at verse 31 of the 18th chapter. This is the scene and the setting behind these events. This is the soberness with which Jesus encounters Zacchaeus. In verse 31, he takes the twelve aside and he says to them, Behold... We are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and insulted, and spit upon. They will scourge him, and kill him, and the third day he will arise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them 
and they did not know the things which were spoken. I read that verse to reveal a bit of the heart of Jesus just prior to his meeting Zacchaeus on the road. What we didn't read in verses 35 down through the end of the 18th chapter is Jesus giving sight to the blind man. And both of these miracles, Jesus willingly and openly performs, graciously, mercifully helps these two men, all the while knowing fully the truth of what he had just made known to his disciples, that in very short order he would be insulted, spit upon, scourged, and killed. The only thing, certainly, that kept him moving forward was the certainty of the last words that he spoke to those disciples, that on the third day he would rise again. But if we back up even further in the 18th chapter, two more accounts that make this encounter with Zacchaeus shine more brightly as we consider them is in the beginning of chapter 18 in verse 9. Jesus tells a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. We won't read all of it, but you'll remember the Pharisee's proud and arrogant and He's thanking the Lord that he is not like other men and even scorning and, in a sense, mocking the tax collector. The tax collector himself would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus says this of the tax collector, I tell you, this man, this one, not the Pharisee, this one, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For whoever, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So you'll remember before we read about Zacchaeus that he is a tax collector, even the chief of them. But one more account that makes this even more remarkable is Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler. You remember how he came to Jesus and said, good teacher. This is in the 18th verse of chapter 18. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, and we can assume that he said this with great confidence, all, th all these things I have kept from my youth. I've done them all. So he is expecting, most likely, Jesus to make a pronouncement over him as to then enter into the joy of your Lord or something of the sort. But Jesus surprises him in the 22nd verse when he says, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But the young man, having heard this, became very sorrowful because he was very rich. And Jesus, seeing that he became very sorrowful, said, notice these words, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, the things which are impossible with men are possible 
with God. Then Peter said, we have left all and followed you. And Jesus replies, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom who will not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. So with all of this, the stage for us is set to consider Jesus in Zacchaeus. Let me ask you before we begin, before we read, what do you know about him? Right off the top of your head, what are the details that you know about Zacchaeus other than that he was short and he climbed a tree? May the Lord be pleased to teach us about this man as we read verses 1 through 10, chapter 19. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word. Lord, we, many of us, will confess our hearts are cold. Our minds distracted. We're thinking of other things. But Father, we pray that in grace and mercy, you would open your word to us, feed our soul, nourish us and wash us with it. Help us to be edified and to benefit from it. Help us to see Jesus in all of his glory. Help us to see him as the gracious and merciful Savior that he is, having come into this world of his own making to seek and save that which is lost. So, Father, we pray that the activity of your Son here in this place would be to seek and to save the lost among us. We would give you the praise and glory for it. In Christ's name, amen. So let's go back to verse 1 and see this man, Zacchaeus, how everything is stacked against him. Nothing is in his favor. There is nothing in him that would have caught the eye of Jesus. There is nothing in him that would have merited 
Jesus staying at his house this evening. So I'm going to call this first section of this encounter Mission Impossible. Is this an impossible mission? Can Jesus do anything with a man like this? The first clue that he can and he will is in the second verse when Luke says, Now behold. I want you to think back of the times that you can remember, and perhaps this week as you're reading the scriptures, when you come across the word behold, usually it means something great is about to happen. Usually something miraculous is about to happen. This is a word that demands our attention. This is a word that says, if you are lethargic, wake up and pay attention. Because the Lord is about to make something known. And this is the way Luke describes it for us. Now, behold, I wonder if you were to tell your story. If there is a behold moment in it. If there is a moment in time where you can point back to and see that the Lord had proven to be exceedingly merciful and gracious to you. Something indeed miraculous was about to happen. We're given just a few preliminary details in the first verse. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. The first miracle, or the previous miracle of giving sight to the blind man, it was as he was approaching the city. He hadn't fully gained interest into this city, which has so much prominence in the biblical story. But now Jesus finds himself entering and passing through Jericho. A few details about Jericho are important. Jericho, by this point in history, was a very rich and prosperous city. It had much produce. It was the, the hub of trade. There were roads coming in and leaving that would have taken this produce all over that region. And the important thing to note here is with all of this trade taking place, there was a great possibility for someone to get rich. A tax collector. All of these, all of this industry and business taking place, the taxes that he could collect, and he himself being the chief tax collector, there was a possibility for him to get very rich, very wealthy. What did we read earlier? Jesus said how hard it is for a rich man to gain entrance into the kingdom. This was the last stop, the last comfortable stop, the last notable rest stop before a traveler would make his way into Jerusalem. From Jericho to Jerusalem, it was all uphill. Jericho itself was 1,000 feet below sea level. Jerusalem, 2,400 feet above sea level. So in their day, walking up this steep incline, they would have many times stopped at Jericho to refresh themselves, to, to eat something, to spend the night, to prepare themselves for this tedious uphill journey. This is where Jesus encounters this man named Zacchaeus. The description that we have of him are very simple. 
Nothing too seemingly profound. We're just told that there was a man named Zacchaeus. His name probably some variation of the Old Testament prophet Zacharias. His name meaning itself the righteous one or one who is pure. But we see that his lifestyle and his life's work did not match his name at all. Not yet, anyway. We're told that he was a man and a rich man at that, being a chief amongst the tax collectors. This is the only place in the New Testament where a chief tax collector is mentioned. There are many mentions of tax collectors themselves, but it seems like Luke and the Spirit of God here are impressing upon us the richness of Zacchaeus and the impossibility of his gaining entrance into the kingdom. Is he a hopeless case? Verse 25 of the 18th verse, Jesus said, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Do you see what's happening here in chapter 19, the first 10 verses? We're seeing the camel go through the eye of a needle. The camel is drawn through the eye of the needle by the grace and mercy of Christ. He cannot press his way in. He cannot squirm his way through, but he can be drawn through. He can be humbled and made so low and so small that the entrance into this kingdom is made with ease. Only Jesus can do something like that. Only Jesus can take a man who is this self-sufficient, this wealthy, this unconcerned for the welfare of those around him, this devious, this dishonest, and with just a few words, bring him fully into the kingdom. This is exactly what he does. Notice what drives Zacchaeus in this story. This is interesting. We're just told that he wanted to see Jesus, and don't read too much into that. Some people read into that, you know, spiritual sight that Zacchaeus wanted to see with spiritual eyes who Jesus was, but that thought is done away with very quickly by Luke when he says, well, he's short and he just wants to put his eye on Jesus, so he climbs a tree. This is no spiritual insight here, this is just the facts of the matter. He sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd. So there were these great throngs of people passing with Jesus as he made his way through. And Jesus is just one of them. He's on foot. He's not riding on a donkey at this point. He's not lifted high in some carriage being carried through the streets. He is walking through the streets of Jericho himself with a great crowd around him. No doubt Zacchaeus has heard the, the rumble. He has heard some of the things, the accounts of the miracles, and he just wants to see this famous person pass through. He's enticed, much like we would be enticed if we knew that someone famous was making their way through our small town. We might just want to go out and see the motorcade come through. We might want to see the fanfare 
And perhaps we might get to lay our eye on the individual, whomever he or she may be. This is a seemingly small thing that he does. Because of his shortness of stature, he ran ahead. That in itself is unbecoming of a chief tax collector. Though he was despised, he was probably Jewish because of his name and because of the fact that those around him just says he is Jesus as being a guest of, those, of that man who is a sinner and doesn't call him an uncircumcised man or something like that. He is probably a Jew who had sold out to the Roman government to collect taxes of his own people. And in that sense, he was greatly despised. But nonetheless, he runs along with the crowd and he finds a low-hanging sycamore tree, apparently, and he climbs up into it because he knew he was on the path that Jesus would take. And he finds himself at the right place at the right time. Curiosity is what has taken him there. He's acted in accordance with the providence of God, just like you this morning. You may have had no great intention. You may not have been expecting the Lord to meet with you. You may not have been expecting the Lord to do a miraculous work in your heart, but he might. Can you see Zacchaeus crouched there in the tree at the right place, at the right time, in a tree, beside the road? And if we keep reading in verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, he saw him, and he began to speak to him. We cannot say that this was an accident. We cannot say that, just, that this just so happened. Was Jesus accustomed to looking for men and trees as he made his way through the city? Probably not. That's not to say that others hadn't done exactly what Zacchaeus had done. We just don't know. But Jesus comes all the way to the tree that Zacchaeus had scaled, and he stops. And he begins to speak to him. And all he says to him is, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your home. Notice how Jesus speaks to him. Notice how Jesus knew the little man would be in the tree. But more than that, notice how Jesus knew the little man in the tree. And we could reduce it even more to this, that Jesus knew. He knew that his name was Zacchaeus and all the other details about him. We could reduce it to this. The great shepherd had found his sheep hiding in a tree. In a most unlikely place, all the other things that are going on around him, Jesus found this 
lost sheep in a tree. Can you picture this scene in your mind? I, I thought on this some um, this week and tried to imagine what it would be like. Here is this little man, little despised man, running through the street trying to find a tree to climb. He finds one, he makes his way up, and he's just hoping to see the cloud of dust pass by and to catch a glimpse of Jesus. But as Jesus comes, and he sees him probably from a distance afar off, and right when he gets to the tree or underneath the tree in close enough proximity that they could converse with one another, Jesus stops dead in his tracks and the whole commotion around him comes to a halt. And he looks up. And he sees this little man, probably with bug eyes, looking down at him, can't believe what he's seeing. He just wanted to see Jesus, but now he's getting a full-on view of him. And Jesus has stopped and has given him his full attention. And then the strangest thing happens. They had never met. Luke doesn't give us any detail that anyone told Jesus who this was in the tree. But Jesus calls him by name and says, Zacchaeus. Can you imagine what he would have done then? Utter shock. He knows my name. But that's not all that Jesus says to him. In essence, he says, Zacchaeus, hurry up, get down from there. For I'm going to your house today. Notice that Jesus did not say to him, Zacchaeus, I wonder if today might be a convenient time for us to have a conversation. He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, I wonder if you have a place prepared for me that I could come and rest and recline at your house. He just tells him, matter of fact, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. And what we can't miss here is the initiative of Jesus. And what we read earlier to begin, all that was upon his heart, all that was in his mind as, as being the Son of God and fully man, knowing that he is making this ascent to Jerusalem to be killed, and yet he comes in what apparently was a, an appointed time and place to meet this small chief tax collector, rich as he was, in a tree and completely change his life forever. Zacchaeus was never the same after this encounter. Not only his day was totally turned upside down, his life was turned upside down. And we have no inclination here in the text that this was anything he was looking for. Most likely he wanted to see Jesus pass by, climb down out of the tree, go back to collecting taxes or or doing whatever it was that he did on a daily basis and then would have eventually perished in his sin. But Jesus had other plans. Aren't you thankful 
in your life that Jesus had other plans for you. He stopped, singled you out, called you by name, gave you a clear command, and then gave you the ability to obey that command. Notice what Zacchaeus does. After this encounter, Jesus tells him, make haste and come down. So what does he do? Verse 6, isn't this the natural response? So he made haste and came down. And he received him joyfully. I like what J.C. Ryle says here, commenting on this. He says, with a look of Christ and a word, everything was changed. In a moment, his heart was changed. Well, we may not see it fully here, but by the time we get to verse 10, we know that's exactly what has happened. What we're seeing here is Zacchaeus' initial response to the call of Jesus. He obeys perfectly. He obeys immediately. He obeys fully. He made haste and came down. But then we read this in the sixth verse, and received him joyfully. This is what grace does to a heart that is once dead in sin. The word of Christ comes and in total renewal gives ability to receive him in that joyfully. We move on in the story. Not everyone is happy about what has happened. And here we find Zacchaeus, he's joyful, he's happy, he's, he is experiencing new things. He now not only has seen Jesus pass by, but he has seen Jesus. The Lord had given him a, a spiritual eye to see, and he has seen him, but not everyone is happy. In verse 7, the they in the seventh verse is probably the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious elite of that day. They're all complaining and murmuring and grumbling about Jesus' choice to go and stay and be a guest of this man who is a great sinner. He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And then apparently now back at Zacchaeus' house in the 8th verse, he stood. This short man stands and says to the Lord. It doesn't come across in English, at least not the New King James. But the first thing that he says is, Behold. It's the same word in the original as the word we saw back in the second verse. Now, behold. This time it's Zacchaeus saying, Behold, Lord. What did we say the word meant most often and usual, usually in the scriptures? Something miraculous is about to happen. Something miraculous is about to come out of this man's mouth. Something miraculous is, is happening in his heart, in his tongue, is going down into the depth of his heart. And now the newness that is there is coming out. 
The softness and the tenderness that is there is coming out. The old heart of stone is gone. Everything is new. He is a new creature, and he is responding according to this new nature. And look what he says. Behold, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Let me remind you of something we've already read. To the rich young ruler, Jesus says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. The invitation was extended to this rich young ruler. Do this and you will live. But he would not. Why? He was very rich. Zacchaeus also was very rich. But the Lord had given him grace. Behold, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. Do you see the immediate fruit in this man's life? He had not gotten very rich and to the point of being a chief tax collector by being giving. He was not by nature a giving person. He was by nature someone who schemed and connived and took advantage and overtaxed and threw it all into his own pile. But now after the Lord came and met him on the road in Jericho as he was perched in a tree... He says, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. And if I have wronged anyone, I am going to restore fourfold. Grace is overflowing and bubbling out of this man's heart. You can't attribute these actions to anything else but the abundance of grace. There was once an abundance of sin in him. Now there is an abundance of grace. And Jesus, not marveling, he marveled at the faith of some, but Jesus here in the ninth verse said to him, and apparently he says this in the hearing of many more than just this man Zacchaeus. He says, today salvation has come to this house. Today. I read this week somewhere where one of the greatest lies of the devil is to tell an unconverted man or an unconverted woman that they have plenty of time to deal with the state of their soul. What a damning lie that is. You don't have plenty of time. You have this portion of today. That's all that you or I can be assured of. Jesus said of this man, today salvation has come. Full and free salvation. Full deliverance from sin. Full forgiveness. Yes, Zacchaeus, chief tax collector though you are. Conniving and scheming and covetous as you are. Yet forgiven. Fully. Jesus goes so far to say of this little man, he is also a son of Abraham. That doesn't just mean that he was a Jew. It may not mean that at all. But what it does mean is that he had as his spiritual father, Abraham, the just, the father of the faithful. 
And then Jesus makes this statement concerning himself. He says of himself, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Notice the dual purpose which really comes down to one. He has come to seek and to save. Who's the seeker in this account? Be careful how you answer. The seeker is Christ. He came to the tree, stopped dead in his tracks, and looked up and began to speak. R.C.H. Linsky writes of this statement of Jesus, the great purpose of Christ was vastly more than an intent. What he means by that is that there was real accomplishment. Jesus did not come to make all men savable. He came to save men. That's an important point that you need to find in the scripture. Don't just take my word for it. He came to seek and to save his own. Notice the thing that he says and makes application here to or about Zacchaeus. He says that he had come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus, prior to his encounter with Christ, would have told you that in every way possible he was found. He had a place of prominence. Though he was despised by some, he was the chief tax collector. He was very rich. The house that he took Jesus to probably was a mansion of some type. In no way before this encounter did he consider himself lost. But after his encounter with Christ, he knew that he had been found. Even though he was not seeking. And I love this, again, by J.C. Ryle. Zacchaeus' curiosity was overruled by Christ to his conversion. (laughs) What started with curiosity from a small man climbing a tree, Jesus stopped dead in his tracks and overruled that curiosity with great conversion. Zacchaeus, make haste, come down. What does he do? Makes haste, comes down. Simple, but yet full obedience. And we can't help but see this as a great illustration of how quickly and how drastically a life can be changed. And I told you, again, we don't have any detail about Zacchaeus from this point forward like we do Saul of Tarsus become Paul the Apostle. But his conversion was no less miraculous. Today, Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. And we see his immediate fruit bearing. I want to give you this. I've quoted J.C. Ryle a couple of times. I want, to, I want to give you this as we come to a close. And please hear what he says. Please hear it. Faith that does not purify the heart in life is not faith at all. Grace that cannot be seen like light and tasted like salt is not grace, but hypocrisy. 
The man who professes to know Christ and trust him, but yet cleaves to his sin and the world is going down to hell with the lie in his right hand. The heart that has really tasted the grace of Christ will instinctively hate sin. What sin did Zacchaeus immediately distance himself from? The sin that formerly characterized who he was. The sin that made him who he was is the first thing that he repents of. Behold, Lord, look, Lord, I give half of everything that I have to the poor. And the other part that I have gained dishonestly, I'm restoring fourfold to anyone. That's the power of grace in a heart and life. That's the power of the Son of Man who has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the same power that some of us have experienced of Christ. And I don't know, this is conjecture on my part, but I hope and pray that figuratively speaking, there are some Zacchaeuses crouched in sycamore trees here this morning. Curiosity, just obedience to your parents to come, seeing this as a necessary step to get through, to get to lunch, whatever it may be. That the Lord will stop dead in his tracks and speak to you by name. What are, what are we told in John chapter 10 about the great shepherd of the sheep? He calls them out by name. So in, in concluding, I want to read just a verse or two out of Isaiah chapter 1. And this is what we could call an invitation to come to Christ. This is a call to come to Christ in verse 18 of chapter 1. Now, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Can you see how this so easily applies to Zacchaeus? Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient... You shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. May it be said of you and me that today salvation has come to this house and that we have been known of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come. We're thanking you for recording this encounter of Zacchaeus and Christ in Jericho. Lord, I pray that we would learn from it. Help us to learn of the nature of your Son as having come to seek and save that which is lost. Help us to see his willingness 
Help us to see his ability. He had just said previously how hard it is for rich men to get into the kingdom. Easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. But yet here we see him in grace and mercy. Bringing the camel through the eye. Lord, some may be so confused in their thinking to think that even though they may not be rich, yet their sin and all of its offense before you is holding them at bay from the kingdom. Lord, show yourself to them as the one who has come to seek and to save not the righteous, not the good, but the lost and sinful. Bring them to yourself. Save them for your own glory and for their good. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.